We are in the middle of a Roman series. Uh, it's our winter series. Um, and we've been going through the book of Romans. Uh, and we will be for the next I think nine more weeks. I think we're in week three. And we are right at Romans chapter three. And today we're going to go from 21 to uh, the end of chapter uh, four. Um, but I will not read the whole thing uh, because the origin is on jokes. You know, whether you enjoyed it last week's sermon or not, uh, I, I apologize. I yelled a lot last week. Uh, sometimes it happens, not all the time. But I know when I come down and melt, my wife says to me, hey, yelled a bit today. And I was like, yeah, that's right, I did. Um, you know, last week we talked about this idea of, you know, every one of us having a problem, and the problem is sin. It it didn't start with us, but because of our nature and our actions, the problem of sin continued to be the greatest problem that we have as humans. And that's where Paul kind of finishes off um, that section of the letter. And then today, he's now going to address, well, if that's the problem, well, what's the solution? Okay. Uh, today, we're going to look into how uh, God saves people, how God saves people. Um, and he's going to, Paul's going to outline how salvation works. Now, before I jump into this, I really want to put a little bit of um, notes, because sometimes when we hear uh, a little bit more theological sermons or a little bit more, I guess, teaching sermons, um, some of us kind of tune off, like, oh, you know, we could just read this in a book. And yes, you can. Uh, but, but the thing about um, understanding the process of salvation, okay, uh, because, you know, I, I once got told this. I said, well, why don't we just believe that we're saved and, and, and that we're saved? Like, if we don't understand the process of salvation, and yet we believe in the process of salvation, are we not still saved? And the answer is yes, you are still saved. Just because you don't understand it wholly, like why, you know, A goes to B to C to D, doesn't mean that, uh, it it doesn't neglect your uh, belief in that, okay? But what understanding the process is, and and this is what I said in week one, is understanding theology is not just to fill our minds with more knowledge, but it's that knowledge that should enrich our relationship with God. You know, and I was thinking about, well, what's an example of this? And and, and an example of this is cooking. I had uh, had breakfast with David Pan, who's like master chef. Uh, wanna be. I I I honestly think if Panny had the chance, he would have a crack at Master Chef. And uh, if if he has, if you if you think I'm joking, ask him to cook for you one day. Maybe you cook for the church one day. I don't know. It's a bit different, but when it's like bulk, it's like seventy people, you don't you know, you can't decorate the plates as well and things like that. So, you know, when you're a child, right? What do you know about cooking? Nothing. You know what you know? You know it smells good, and you know it tastes good, and as long as it smells good and it tastes good, that's all that matters. Right? But, but you, don't, you don't really care as a child where did these ingredients come from? Like, what ingredients are in here? 
What proportion of, of salt and pepper do you put in? Like, is, it a, is this product gluten-free? Is it nut-free? Is it dairy-free? Is it taste-free? Like, you know, what, like, who cares, right? Like, when you're a kid, if it smells good and it tastes good, then you eat it. But as we become older and as we become to uh, know more about cooking, and, and, you know, there are people that are obviously a lot more passionate about cooking, as, uh, the more we learn about the ingredients and, and the process of how the food is actually created, it's not just for us to appreciate the journey of the creation of that food, but actually we cherish the taste that much more. We cherish the taste that much more when we know more about the process of cooking. And it's the same thing with our theology. The more we understand about God and His processes and His desires and His thoughts, if it finishes in your understanding that you have not truly digested it, that's meant to be digested and it's meant to bring about a greater appreciation and a deeper desire for God. And that's what I'm praying tonight would be the case. That you wouldn't go, wow, that was a seven-point lecture. But that would be, but, but you would walk out going, wow, that's seven ways that I know God more and I'm drawn to Him more and I want my life to change. And I pray that this theology wouldn't just be theology, but it lead to transformation of our lives. Amen. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 is where we finished off last week. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The somber reality check of who we are in the presence of God is that the best that we can be is a sinner. The best that we can be is a sinner. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what ethnicity, what background. You and I, the best that we can be in the eyes of God are sinners. We are sinners. And Paul's going to continue on in now chapter 3. Well, if sin is the problem, and we all know the answer, God is the answer. Well, how does that answer play out? Okay? And Paul's going to explain this, and he's going to use... Uh, the term for all of this is this word justification. It's a big word, justification. Justification is the act of God whereby He declares the believing sinner righteous, right, okay, right with Him in Christ on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross, okay? I'm going to start with the definition, okay? So three things that we need to know about justification is firstly, justification is one act. There's no such thing as degrees of justification. You can't be partially justified. You can't be half justified. You're either justified or you're not justified. Okay, there's no percentages in justification. In the eyes of God, you either are or you're not. Okay, secondly, justification is a God act. Paul's going to explain this to us, but there is nothing in the process of justification that we can bring to the table. It's all God. 
And I'm going to come back to this because I think this is really important. God is the one who justifies us, not ourselves. Thirdly, justification is a legal act. Justification does not mean that God makes us righteous, but in the court of law, He declares us righteous. There's a difference. When you're justified, God doesn't suddenly make you perfect. And suddenly everything's right. And suddenly you're walking on clouds with a halo, you know, with, with, a, with a choir of angels walking behind you. Like, that's not what God does in the process of justification. No, the process of justification is that through what His Son Jesus has done on the cross, even though you are still sinful, He's going to take what Jesus did and He's going to cover you with that. And He goes, you are righteous. Okay? Paul's now going to explain how the process works. And uh, honestly, this is a hard sermon. Now, I'm, I'm, gonna tell you the, I'm not going to lie. This is one of the hardest sermons that I've had to uh, prepare for uh, in the last few years, simply because there's just so much, right? There's so much. But I wanted to just go through this like verse by verse. And I know I don't really do this as, as, as very often, I think there's just so much depth in each of these verses that, that I don't want to jump. So we're going to go Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. And this is going to show us what the process of justification is. Okay? Verse 21, 3.21. But now, apart from the law, the, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So Paul's going to start... Because Paul's a Jew, and he's talking to Jewish people. He's going to go back to the Old Testament, and he's going to go, look, how were we justified in the Old Testament? How were we made righteous in the Old Testament? And the Old Testament, we were done, uh, we were made uh, right by the, the, the whole process of sacrifice. Right? So you had the prophets, and they would sacrifice, they would shed blood of innocent animals uh, to atone for our sin, to take place of our sin. But the problem with that was that was a yearly sacrifice. And it would only, I guess, temporarily make you or make the nation of Israel right with God. But now Paul is saying, well, no, no, there's, there's now another way. There's now another way that's going to bring us the righteousness. Okay? From where? Verse 22. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Okay? The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It is given through faith in Jesus. Our right standing with God. Our right standing with God is given to all those who believe. And I say this very lightly, but I actually had to sit there and really think about what that meant. God has given to us something that we could never atone for ourselves. God has given us His righteousness that, that we could never uh, obtain or earn or deserve ourselves. God gave that to us through His Son, Jesus. Verse 22, 23, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So who was this for? It was for all. I love these two verses in the Bible, right? 
For all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one, there is no one that is good enough in God's eyes. And yet, verse 24, and all, same all, are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The word redemption means to have paid for, have redeemed, right? Literally, Jesus paid the price for your sin so that you could have the free gift of righteousness from God. Jesus redeemed that through His own life. And He gave it to you freely. And that's why it's called grace. Okay? Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Faith. How, how did God do this? Uh, and, and at this point, I want to point out once again, at this point, we have done nothing in this whole process. Okay, all we've done is sat there and sinned. Okay, this is still God. God is uh, laying out his process of justification, okay? God gave Jesus as the sacrifice of atonement. Atonement is the idea that because the price was paid, uh, Jesus reconciled our relationship with God. He atoned the relationship. He covered the relationship. And he did this through what? The shedding of his blood on the cross. And the question is why, verse 25, 26, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed uh, beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God did this. God sent Jesus. Instead of just snapping his fingers going, well, you know, be righteous, he sent Jesus because he needed to be just, but he also needed to be merciful because these are the characteristics of God. This is who God is. This is who God is. The cross, and we've, we've said this before, right? The cross is the intersection of where God's mercy and God's justice interlink. Okay? And so he had to send Jesus as the perfect sacrifice to die on the cross for the blood to be shed, okay, just, just the same way as the sacrifices used to happen in the Old Testament, okay, to cover our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, to cover our sin. This is the gospel. And the thing about this whole process is, and, and the thing that kept, as I kept reading on and on and, and just reading different commentaries and what people were talking about, was one of the biggest things that not only do we need to understand the process of justification, but we need to understand our role in the process of justification. And our role in the justification is this. It's nothing. There's nothing that we've done. There's nothing that we can do that earns or deserves our right standing with God. Our sinfulness, now whether you believe that or not, or whether you can swallow that or not, our sinfulness does not allow us to gain right standing with God. See, the only actually thing that we did in this whole process, we, we got ourselves into it. We dug the hole and jumped into it into a hole that we actually can't get out of. 
but God is the one who saves us. God has given us His righteousness. God has sent His one and only Son. God has prayed, paid the, the, the price for our sin. God has reconciled us back into relationship with Him. God was the one that showed perfect justice and perfect mercy through His Son, Jesus, on the cross. This is all God. This is all God. And I'm going to come back to this because one of the lies, one of the lies about uh, our, 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 our belief is that we need to be good for God to accept us. And yet, as Paul outlines the whole process of justification, it mentions nothing like that. It talks nothing about our morality. It talks nothing about our behavior. It talks nothing about our past, present, and future. Actually, all God talks about is what He has done for us through Jesus. And that's something that we need to remember. Because the temptation is that we want to bring something to God. We want to add something to that process. I'll come back to that. There's a word that runs through the whole passage, which is really the key to justification, and it's the word faith. Faith. Now, let me define faith. Let me let the Bible define faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is faith. Okay? Now, there's a difference between believing and having faith. There's a difference between believing and having faith. It's not good enough to say, I believe God exists. It's not good enough to say, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, that he died for the sins of the world. If that is your level of faith, you're actually, the Bible tells us even the demons believe that. So congratulations. You have the same faith level as Satan. That's just believing, but what faith is, it, it, goes, it goes a step further than believing. Faith takes that belief and translates it and interprets it in our lives. You can't have real faith without real action. Yes, it starts off with a decision to believe, but if that doesn't translate in our lives, then that's not real faith. That's just something that you think that you believe. Let me read some of these verses again with the emphasis on faith. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith. Right? Through faith. Now remember, faith isn't, it's not just believing, but it's believing and living. Okay? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Receive by faith, meaning receive, like believe and live. Verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as uh, to be just and the one who justifies to those who have faith in Jesus, not just believe in Jesus, but to take that belief and live it. Justification, the act where God gives us right standing before himself through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross can only be obtained by faith. Believing and living what we believe. That's what this whole passage talks about. That we are saved 
by faith and not by works. We cannot earn our righteousness. We cannot even come close to obtaining our own righteousness. And and this is the fun part. I think theoretically we all hear this and we all, yes, this is all God, 100% God. What can I do? And then uh, you, you know when you, when you start uh, maybe not giving God 100% of, of the credit, when you start feeling guilty, I didn't do this. I couldn't do this. And it's like, well, God didn't need you to do it from the beginning. The whole process of justification is 100% God. He didn't need you. He didn't need you to be good or he didn't need you to play a part. It's all God. And what, gives, what God gives to us is a, a, a finished product of justification by faith. And all we need to do is believe and live. So if that's the whole idea of Paul's argument in, in, in chapter 3, of that we are justified only by faith, not by works, not by our own merits, only by faith. And if, and if God said, look, you just need to have faith, right? Then the question then is, we want to move is, what does that look like? What does a life of faith look like? And what's awesome is Paul backs up chapter 3 with chapter 4 and uses the example of Abraham and shows us an example of what a faith-filled life looks like. Now, Abraham... Um, was chosen. He, was, he, he Abraham was just some guy. You know, I, I know sometimes we 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 glorify Abraham, but Abraham literally was just some guy. You know, why did God choose Abraham and and not, you know, Abraham and Abraham and you know, like you know, why did why did God choose him? There's no reason. It's just because God chose Abraham. Now, what's special about Abraham is God chose Abraham to begin to create. God's people, the Israelites. And in verse, in Genesis chapter 12, God chooses Abraham and promises him something. He makes covenant and he promises something. And he says this in 12, 2 to 3, and he says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So God's told Abraham, I'm going I'm to use you. I'm going I'm I'm to do some big things through your life. I'm going to create a nation, a people. My, my people through you. But Abraham had one problem with this. He had no children. When we read the story of Abraham, we know that he had no children and he was getting old. Like old. Like physically impossible to have children age. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is this amazing chapter on faith living, and it talks about Abraham. And I wanted to take a snippet of what it says about Abraham. And this is found in Hebrews 11, 8 to 12. And just, just listen to the, what the writer of the Hebrews has to say about the, the life of faith that Abraham lived. Okay? By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger, 
uh, in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. They were his children and his grandchildren, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past children-bearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. This is what life This is what a life of faith looks like. No matter what the situation, you believe and you live out that belief. You believe and you live out that belief. That is what true faith is. Romans 4.20, it's talking about Abraham again. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, check this, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Fully persuaded. There was not an ounce of doubt in Abraham's mind That when God said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to create a nation, even though he was old, even though he didn't have a single child, there was not a moment in Abraham's life where he did not have that faith. He was fully persuaded. I think that's what faith is. To to be in a situation where you are fully persuaded that God has the power to do what He has promised. That's what faith is. But it's not just to believe it, but it's to live a life according to that belief. That's why when Abraham was sent, he went. That's why he he never blamed God. He believed and he lived Romans 4 concludes with these verses in 23 and 25. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. For our justification. Paul tells us that righteousness, this right standing with God, is available to all those who have faith. We can do nothing but believe that God has done everything for us. And not just believe that God has done everything for us, but to live out a life according to that belief. That is faith. So I always question faith. Like, I always find it interesting when people say, yeah, yeah, this is what I believe, and yet it doesn't translate into their life. And I wonder, do they really believe? 
uh, you know, there are many examples of this. You know, uh, do I believe? You know, do I do I believe fast food is bad for you? Yes, in my head. You know, when I read the calories and you know, when I read the nutritional value of of a Big Mac, I I believe, I do, I really believe it that this Big Mac is not good for me. Somehow, it does not translate into my action. Somehow, it does not translate into my lifestyle. Um, you know, last year, you know, some of you guys would know, you know, I lost a, a, a you know, I lost an arm last year. I lost 15Ks last year. You know, proud, you know, so good, hey. And then this year, no good. It's been slowly coming back. You know, like it just, it's just slowly creeps back, right? It's like last year, like I really believed if I don't get my, if I don't get my eating and, and my exercise right, like I'm, I'm just not going to be healthy. And it's like suddenly like my belief is just changed. Like I still believe that I need to exercise and eat well, but suddenly the, the translation into my life has, has changed. And the question I have to ask myself is, do I really, is this real belief? It's not. You know, it's this idea like faith in the, in the infrastructure of this room. You know, you can stand outside and you go, wow, this, I think this building is really safe. I think it's built well. I think it's got some good foundations. Okay? And they say, well, come in. You go, no, no, no. I don't know about that. Is that real faith? And the answer is, it's not. You know, as I was going over and over through this passage and not just understanding the process of justification by faith, but really wondering, and, and really this was my big question, not do the people in our community understand the process of justification by faith, but the question was, do they have the faith to be justified? Do you have the faith that God is seeking, that Paul is writing about, the faith to not just know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, not, not just to know that, that, you know, that, that Jesus redeemed you from your sin, he paid the price for your sin, not only did he atone for your sin, no, no, do you have the faith, not just the belief, but do you have the faith, meaning the belief and the life that you could sit here and with clear conscience, heart on hand, say, yep, I not just believe, but I have this faith. And I know that because I have this faith, I am justified. That my sins have been taken care of. That in the eyes of God, in the courtroom, that even though I am still sinful, that because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross, God sees me as being sinless. Do I believe that? And do I live that out in my life? Now, why is this important? This is fundamental foundation of what we believe in our, in our belief system. If you don't ask me what's the most important uh, theological concept that, that we need to understand as Christians, it's justification by faith. Can I tell you, we get so worked up on spiritual gifts. We get so worked up on 
uh, leadership, male and female leadership. We get so worked up on what heaven and hell looks like. And I'm telling you, put all of those together and you do not get even close to the importance of the concept of justification by faith. Because when you, when you are not justified, that means you're on your own. When you stand before God, you need to work that out for yourself and no one can do that. I wonder tonight if you have faith. Not just belief, but faith. A faith that doesn't just finish with with our minds, but a faith that translates in our life. A, A faith that's interpreted in our life. It's not just about what you believe, but 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 can we see that in our lives? They say one of the biggest barriers of justification by faith is justification by works, which is I'm going to do it myself. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to make myself right before God. And I would say for a lot of us, we fall into this trap here and there. I need to go to church today. I didn't read my Bible today. I only spent four minutes and 30 seconds praying today. I didn't get to the five-minute mark. I didn't invite my friends to church. I didn't give 10% offering. And then and suddenly we get sort of filled with guilt and shame. As if that's what's going to impress God. Or that's what's going to make you right with God. Friends, Paul says very, very, very clearly, all have fallen short. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one here There's no one here that can earn it. There's no one here that is right in the eyes of God. But in the same sentence, all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There are two things that I'd like for you to leave with tonight. Firstly, Do you understand that you are justified? Do you understand that what God has done, what God has done through through sending His one and only Son, Jesus, do you understand the whole process that that He has taken your sin and covered it with Jesus' blood? We had a huge problem, the greatest problem all humanity has. And the solution comes from God and God Himself. And that's it. That's it. You can't earn that solution. You can't do something to make yourself deserve that solution. No, the solution is done. It's dusted by Jesus. And the second thing that I want you to ask yourselves is, do you have the faith to believe that? Do you have the faith to believe and live that out in your life? And I think this is a point where we need to really be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves some of the hard questions. For all have fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that comes through Christ Jesus. And I pray that you would believe that in your life tonight 
and that you'd have the faith to live that out in your day-to-day lives. Let's pray.